Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Numbers. Buckle up, we're going to be here for a while. All right. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them to the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them who were heads of the people of Israel. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the son of Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Moses said to the Lord, Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, And as followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. 
And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by the plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We will go to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presume to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them. This is God's word. job, Erica. She deserves a round of applause for that. <clears throat> yeah, very good. Church clap, golf clap, uh, whatever you need to do. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for, uh, for doing that. Uh, my name is Jonathan. Good morning. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Uh, we're in the middle of a series on the Old Testament, uh, which as you can see there can be uh, quite long, uh, depending on where, where, we, where we fall. Uh, if you have never been here before, I hope you, well, I hope and I don't hope that you're reading the worship folder line by line because right under the proclamation of God's word, it says, a small portion of God's word is explained to us and applied to our lives. I apologize, uh, you know, the word small, it's a relative term. I, I define small maybe differently than you do. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, um, hard to hard to kind of cut out uh, this morning. Uh, and so I just found myself kind of overwhelmed by the whole story, and so we had to read most of it. Um, we're in the middle of a series on the Old Testament, and I want to give you just a recap, a, a recap that Drew has been giving us each week, uh, and I, I found it necessary to do that again. Uh, and it's this, kind of what we've learned along the way. First is God has a mission and a people for that mission. That's kind of been a theme, a theme statement that has been running through the thread of the Old Testament thus far. God's original commissioning came in the garden. Uh, he, he commissioned humanity to rule as his co-regent, as his co-rulers. They were to multiply his image throughout the earth, but because of sin, the mission gets corrupted, gets, gets stunted, gets stopped. Human beings want to rule themselves rather than be ruled. They want to live on their own terms according to their own desires. And so God, as a result, begins anew. He hides one man, his family, and two of every kind of living creature uh, in an ark as the floodwaters destroy the earth. That man was Noah. Eventually, he calls a man named Abram, declaring to him that through him and his family, he would bless all the nations of the earth. His mission would extend throughout the entire world. Abram's descendants end up in Egypt, where they're enslaved for 400 years. 
God in turn raises up a guy named Moses who leads the people out of Egypt in the Exodus. They arrive at Sinai uh, where they receive God's law. That is how his character will get reflected and fleshed out in the living of his people. Uh, That group of people has seen plagues. They've experienced the Passover, the Red Sea parting for them and consuming the Egyptian army right before their eyes. They've had food and water in the desert out of nowhere. They have seen and experienced God's salvation again and again. And so part of doing that is to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of context. Where are we at this point in the story? Last week we were in Exodus chapter 40, the very end of the book of Exodus, and Drew talked about the tabernacle, the symbolism of the tabernacle, the significance of the tabernacle, and what it is that God has woven a story of grace into us, into our lives, and what it means to become a person of grace. All that to say that it may seem somewhat random, we're jumping from the end of Exodus, skipping right over the book of Leviticus. Go try to read it this afternoon, you'll see why we skipped over it. It's, it's hard, hard read. Uh, and then going halfway into the book of Numbers, but I assure you there's, there's a method to this madness, and that is this. The people begin to wander, not wander, but very intentionally led by the Lord, go from Sinai to Kadesh. I think we have a map. Joe, do we have a map? There it is. Thank you, Joe. Um, If you can't see this completely, uh, I apologize. But the red line will hopefully give you some idea. Basically, the bottom of the red line is Mount Sinai. And the journey of Israel all the way up into the um, end of the red line where that arrow is, is Kadesh Barnea. And God's whole purpose in taking them from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea was to prepare them to eventually take the land. And so where Kadesh Barnea is, is it's the southern tip. You'll see the wilderness of Zin there. It's kind of the southern tip of what becomes the land of Canaan, the promised land. And so the spies in this story set out from Kadesh Barnea and they go all the way up to, uh, you see the word Canaan there. Right below Canaan is the word Hebron which you may or may not be able to see as clearly, but they go kind of like this up into Hebron and then back down to Kadesh Barnea. And the reason I wanted to put that up there for you was to let you know that it it took them a month or two, some scholars debate, to get from Sinai up to Kadesh, and that was to be the launching pad for them to head into the promised land to conquer it. Now most of you, if you're familiar with the, the story of the Bible, you know They end up wandering for 40 years. Well, it didn't take them 40 years to get from the bottom of the red line to the top. It's the event we are going to read about today, or that Erica just read to us, that is the reason why they end up having to do, you know, this. If if I took the red line from where they are now and squiggled it around for another 40 years. Because of this event today, they end up having to wander and wander and wander. Uh, so I wanted you to just get a, 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 an idea of where they are and how close they are to Canaan. You see how close they are to the promised land? They are on the verge of entering, but it's another 40 years. If you look at the story, uh, before I kind of get into the outline here, I just want you to go back to the first couple of verses here, and I want you to pay attention to who the people 
sinned to spy out the land. They, they don't send just any old people, just any old 12 guys who are dumb enough to go and research or do reconnaissance on this land that they have no idea who's in it or what's in it. They are to choose a chief from each t- tribe uh, of the nation. And so these are 12 leaders of the people. So remember that because later on what you're going to see is 10 out of those 12 die by the plague because of the way that they report to the people, and only two survive. But it's significant, I think, that these are leaders. And so even leaders within God's people can fall prey to unbelief and fear and so forth. So we're going to look at three things. Uh, Again, a, a long portion of God's word is explained and applied to our lives in a short fashion. This morning. Um, so I don't plan to be super long because we had to read a lot, but I do hope that the story uh, impacts you in and through some of the comments that I have this morning and that you go back and get a chance to review it again and that it deepens in, in its significance for you. Look at these three things in the outline here. We're going to look first at unbelief, that is walking by sight and two manifestations of unbelief that we find in this story. Secondly, and in contrast to that, the strength of trust. What does it mean to walk by faith? And so the first point is really about the ten who bring the bad report, and the second point is about the two guys who kind of stand up to that, uh, or in contrast to that. And then lastly, how do you become a person who moves from walking by sight to walking by faith, how do you become a person who moves from being full of fear to full of faith? Uh, and, and that is, uh, you have to know the Lord delights in you, among other things. So we'll get to that in a minute. But as we begin, I want to ask this question, and it's there in your outline. What is it about this story that makes it the event? I mean, this is the event that results in an entire generation not entering the promised land. The spies were gone for 40 days. And when they come back and they, they show their unbelief to the Lord, and we read it this morning, uh, that entire generation is consigned to wander for one year for every day they were gone. So 40 years more in the wilderness. And God says, you will not see the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I mean, it's sobering. And it should be. But I think part of the reason why it is the event is because of the depth of unbelief. Because given where they are in their journey, given all they had experienced, I mean, think about that for a minute. I I, I summarized a little bit of it for you earlier, but think of all these people have seen and experienced and gone through. And they still forget. They still forget don't believe. They've forgotten the Lord's work of redemption. They had forgotten his call to mission, to take the land. The land was theirs. So there are two ways unbelief manifests itself in this story. First, I want to look at fear. And then second, I want to look at presumption. Both of these are ways in which we're led to try and live life on our own terms apart from God. So first, fear. Now, 
go back into the story to verses 27 and 29. It'll be in the, kind of the top half of the, the page there if you're looking at the worship folder. Verse 29, they say, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. They're talking to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. We came to the land. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, Amorites are in the hill country. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. Basically, there are people everywhere. We don't have a chance. Now, jump down to verse 31. The men who had gone up with him, that is Caleb, said, we are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. This is fundamentally an irrational report. The Hebrew actually says it's an evil report, not a bad report. But it's fundamentally irrational. In fact, look at verse 33. That's a bold-faced lie. You know why? Because the Nephilim were destroyed in the flood. The Nephilim didn't exist anymore. They just straight up lied to the people. That's called spin. I won't give you modern day examples of that. I don't need to. Because when I said the word spin, you all laughed. Because you know what I'm talking about. Okay? They are spinning the report for the people to achieve a certain purpose. That is to fill them with fear. Now, listen to this. There is absolutely no mention of the Lord in their report. Did you, did you catch that? Do you see that? They don't even talk about him. And that's what fear does. It leads us to view reality through the lens of irrational statements, uh, falsehoods. It causes us to view reality through the lens of our circumstances. Who's at the center of the report? The giants that are in the land. But that's not all. They continue to spin the entire congregation of Israel into a frenzy. That's why I wanted to jump from verse 33, the end of chapter 13, right into chapter 14. Uh, It's a shame we have the chapter uh, uh, headings in our Bible because it's one story. So they report this, and what happens in verse 1 of chapter 14? All the congregation raised a loud cry. The people wept that night, and all the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then here it is. Let's get a leader and just go back. That's unbelievable. It is a complete and thorough rejection of God and his plan of redemption. They are rejecting him by saying, let's choose another leader and just go back. This is insane. Fear has gripped them. Fear has completely 
consumed them, turned them into irrational, nut people. I mean, they're crazy. Let's just turn the whole thing around. Again, do you remember what you have seen? Were you there when the Red Sea parted and you walked on dry ground? Were you there when out of nowhere stuff started falling from the sky or you woke up one morning there was food on the ground? Were you there for any of that? And fear has so gripped them they can't even, they can't even remember. That's not even in their imagination. It's not even in their mind any longer. All they can see are these giants that are before them. Now, where does fear come from? It's generically speaking, a couple of places. First, the lack of control, right? In the, in the story, the people, through the report of the spies, are helpless in the face of fortified cities and giant people. They have no control. They don't know what's coming. But also, fear can come from a lack of knowledge, right? How does a young child come to realize that monsters do not actually live under their bed? They got to be told, right? They got to learn that. Think through many of the common phobias uh, that exist. By the way, uh, there are some really crazy ones out there. Uh, Look them up. It's pretty amazing. But there's fear of flying, right? Fear of tight spaces, fear of heights, fear of crowds, fear of spiders, fear of vomiting. Yes, there is such a thing. Some of you may have it. What's driving those fears? Something important or valuable to you is threatened and you're working to protect it. You're working to to, to safeguard it, right? When you see your child teetering on the brink of collapse at the playground as they're swinging on a swing or they're on a merry-go-round or something like that, you reach out to catch them. That's fear. And oftentimes it produces something good. It produces a good reaction. But... When it takes over and consumes you, it it often looks more like anxiety. And what started out in a rational manner ends up turning irrational, right? That's where much of our culture lives. Uh, There's an article, it was actually the cover article in the Atlantic Monthly in the month of January, written by a guy named Scott Stossel, and it's about our anxiety-ridden culture. Funny, W.H. Auden, many years ago, about 40 or 50 years ago, may have been even longer now, wrote a really long poem called The Age of Anxiety. Uh, So some things never change, right? Stossel says that nearly 50 million Americans in 2012 filled prescriptions for Xanax. He quotes, or excuse me, he says this, and I wanted to quote him. Some people say that in stressful situations I can seem unflappable. And I think that's partly because I'm always kind of internally flapped. And so, when there's actually something real to be concerned about, it's actually less anxiety-provoking than irrational things. You see what he's saying? Because he's always internally flapped. On the surface, if you look at him or you try to relate to him or you're in a conversation with him, he seems very unflappable. That's because the things that he should actually worry about and be fearful of don't really bother him. It's these irrational things that have taken over, that plague him, that consume him. Can you relate to him? Uh, I can. Uh, Last week, week before last, I had the opportunity to go up to North Carolina for a a mini conference uh, that uh, was kind of pastoral uh, retreat, if you will. 
Uh, and I started out in Gatlinburg and had to drive over to uh, Hendersonville, North Carolina. So Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Hendersonville, North Carolina. Those of you who know that area, you know there's pretty much one way to get there, or the fastest way to get there, is I-40, which happens to go over the mountains. Okay? So we were leaving Wednesday evening, and we decided we are going to drive straight back to Gatlinburg after we had finished uh, dinner over in Hendersonville. And so we're driving on I-40, and it starts to snow. Now, what I am not telling you is the fact that at dinner that night, I was struggling a little bit with panic because the thought actually came to my mind, what if I'm driving this rental car, uh, and, you know, we're going through the mountains, and there's these mountain passes, and the road is doing this, and my wife gets car sick, and there's semi-trucks, and it's snowing, and we... Uh, crash off a ravine and we fall into the valley and we all die. (laughs) Talk about irrational, okay? That's irrational. Now, had you seen me in the car, I was unflappable. (laughs) Ten and two, I'm going along, everything's fine. Internally, I'm flapped. Really, really flapped, right? Uh, But that's absolutely crazy. It got so bad, though, that we had to stop because I had to use the bathroom for about the fourth or fifth time by this point, and I asked the guy that I was with, who's grown up in the Carolinas, can you drive? So I sat in the back seat. It continued to snow. He was driving like a crazy person, actually, uh, all over the mountain passes of I-40, and we did get safely back to Gatlinburg, but it's that irrational fear that consumes you. I'm going to fall off the cliff in the car and die. Are you kidding me? Right? That's nuts. And yet, it consumed me. So that's fear. Secondly, though, I want to go to presumption. Look at presumption. Okay? In chapter 14, at the very end of the passage we read, the people are told, after the ten guys die by plague, they, Moses tells them this, they say, oh, we're sorry, we've sinned. Let's go to battle. And in verse 44, the scripture says, they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country. An alternate translation would be, they had the nerve to, or they had the audacity to do anyway. Presumption is obeying on your terms rather than God's terms. Spurgeon says, presumption is a sin, quote, that is committed through a hardihood of fancied strength of mind. What's that mean? Well, you presume your own strength. You presume your ability. Your strength of mind is, is, is a fancy. It's, it, it's, you're imagining it. It doesn't really exist. You think you have a strength of mind, but you really don't. The people confessed their sin. They apologized, but they didn't repent. They didn't see any need to wait on the Lord. And the great irony is when Moses says, don't go up because the Lord will not be with you, they say, no, we're going up, as if to say, Well, if it's such a big deal that ten men just died, we'll just suck it up and go. But they had no intention of going up with the Lord. Their presumption was so strong, in fact, that they attempted to go up, look at verse 44, without the Ark of the Covenant. They went into battle without God. Presumption is nasty. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the kind of thing that causes you to do things that you would never otherwise think to do 
if faith was at the center. Because it's the root of fear, sin is very deceitful. It lies to us. And that's the thing. Unbelief doesn't have to be technicolor. It doesn't have to be out there for everyone to see. It can be under the surface. It could be subterranean. But under the surface, it can grow slowly like a cancer. And like cancer, it will eventually uh, kill you. So, unbelief. Contrasted. Let's go on then. We want to contrast that with the strength of trust. One of the powerful things about the passage uh, in this story is the contrast between the ten spies who die and the two who are spared and the things that come out of their mouths. It is stark. It's amazing. Remember, these are 12 leaders of the tribe, tribes of Israel. And the ten who bring the evil report say what they say, but in contrast to that, listen to Caleb and Joshua. Chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, uh, says this. They say to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. (laughs) Caleb and Joshua saw, this is, I mean, they saw the same thing. The same cities, the same peoples, the same supposed giants that the other ten guys saw. But who is at the center of Caleb and Joshua's report? The Lord. And that's faith. Faith is interpreting reality through the lens of God's word and God's work. And that is what Caleb and Joshua were doing. They knew. They knew. What was the source of their confidence? You've got to go all the way back to Abram. And that weird picture, that weird story in Genesis chapter 15, you can read it later, where God tells Abram to cut animals in half and walk between the pieces. That was how they ratified a covenant, an agreement between two parties in that day. Only Abraham falls asleep and God passes through the pieces. The people would have heard that story. They would have retold it to one another over and over. God has sworn on pain of his own death to give you this land. He has covenantally bound himself to Abraham's family. He has to give them the land. You see that? He's not free to not. He has to. And there's no coincidence that early up in the story you read, and I mentioned it when we had the map up there, that they passed through Hebron on their journey into the promised land. Do you know where Hebron was? Hebron was the first piece of real estate that Abraham got a deed to. It's where Sarah was buried. And Caleb and Joshua are strengthened in their trust of the Lord because they saw the land with their own eyes. They saw Hebron. They said, this is where Father Abraham buried grandmother Sarah many years ago. This is a piece of what God is going to give to us. And what's amazing about Caleb is, if you fast forward to Joshua chapter 14, which we'll get to uh, in in a few weeks when we're looking at uh, Joshua. We may not get to that chapter, but we'll get to the book of Joshua. You see that Caleb's trust in the word of the Lord is so strong that when he's 85 years old, he finally gets to take possession 
of an inheritance, a piece of the land of Canaan. He's 40 when he says this in Numbers 13 and 14. When he's 85, 45 years, have you ever had to wait 45 years for anything? I don't like waiting 45 seconds for the traffic light to change, much less 45 years. I mean, Caleb is Psalm 27, which we read in our call to worship. He is Psalm 27 in action. Wait for the Lord. I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. My soul take courage. Wait upon the Lord. That is Caleb. That's Joshua. Because they knew and they had confidence that God would keep his word. So two ways of life, sight and faith. How do you become a person, thirdly, who walks by faith, who's unflappable? I love that word. You can't be flapped. Even when you see giants all around you, how do you become that kind of a person? Well, the good news is that if you, if you take your Bible and you look at where uh, Numbers 13 and 14 are, okay, this is how far into the story we've gotten. And the people are going, the the generation is going to be wiped out and not see the land of Canaan. And the people of Abraham's family are not going to conquer it, which means they're not going to begin to fulfill Genesis 12 and 15 and some of those promises, or Genesis chapter 3 for that matter. But look how much is left. That, That should give you hope. Even if you didn't know the story or you're new to the Bible, This is going on in this many pages. There's this many pages left. The story doesn't end there. You got to be convinced of two things to move from fear to faith God's forgiveness and God's delight. And first, God's forgiveness. We didn't get to this section in Numbers chapter 14, but after the people, um, after the evil report and after. Caleb and Joshua try to talk them out of this and say, no, 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 listen. The Lord will give this to us. Trust him. The Lord will go with us. He's promised to. Uh, We didn't read it, but the people begin, the people get stones together to stone Joshua and Caleb at that point. And God rises up in judgment. And Moses, as he has continuously done, intercedes for the people and says to God, and I included it here in the passage Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. What does he appeal to? He appeals to God's hesed, his steadfast love, his constancy, his fidelity to keep his covenant, his swearing by his word. And the people's rebellion results in their being cut off from the land of promise. But what I want to say to you this morning is this is a foretaste. This is a small piece of what would happen to Jesus Christ as he would be cut off from the land of the living, as he would endure the wrath of God for the sin of the world. Jesus was cast off. Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was laid out exposed on the day of trouble. While the spies died by plague, Jesus died by being punished for not only their sin, but the sin of the whole world. And so if you're here and not a Christian or unsure of where you are, I want you to know there's another judgment coming, a judgment far greater than this one we read about here for those who reject God's word and who refuse to believe his promise that he has forgiven them and is pleased with them for Jesus' sake. 
And just as this generation was barred from entering the promised land, everyone who stands apart from or out of Jesus Christ is going to be barred from the final land of promise. And so think about that. Wherever you are this morning, wherever your faith commitment lies, because Moses interceded, the people were forgiven. And because of Jesus' intercession, all who trust in him are forgiven. Because God accepted his sacrifice, all to, who come to him, all who come to God, rather, through him, must be forgiven, but not only forgiven. It's not just that he tolerates you now because he has to, but he delights in you. And I borrowed this phrase for the third point from chapter 14, verse 8, where uh, Caleb and Joshua say, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Only now, if your faith is, is in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're united to him by faith, there's no if. It's because God delights in us. It's since God delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. And I want to say this as I finish. Knowing the delight of God, knowing the delight of God over our life produces a profound courage to engage in the mission. The mission of filling the earth with his images so that the whole earth is full of his glory. You see, Caleb's attempt to quiet the people failed. But because God has bound himself to us in Jesus Christ, the scriptures tell us he will quiet our fearful, our anxious, our presumptive hearts with his love. His perfect love will cast out, will heal, will eradicate all of our fears. And to accomplish our mission, we as a church believe we need nothing less than a rebirth. A rebirth to see the kingdom, to become more and more a people of faith and courage and less and less a people of unbelief and fear. See, working to make Jesus' invisible kingdom visible requires a supernatural faith and vision but also requires endurance and perseverance. And all of that is sourced in a confidence that's born out of the fact that God has said in his steadfast love, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I swear to it. I put Jesus on the cross as a confirmation of that. And that is what will heal us from fear and presumption. It'll, we'll be a church full of Caleb's. You see, Jesus' sacrifice of himself satisfied the justice of God and made forgiveness possible. And if you come to him in faith, his covenant oath demands forgiveness. To not forgive you would be unjust. It would make God a liar. But now, united to Jesus, God delights in us. And because of that delight, that pleasure, that smile, we can get busy with the mission. And that is to fill our community, our county, our world with redeemed images of God to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, to see Winter Haven, Polk County, the world filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That is what our desire is. And so uh, let me pray and ask that he heal our hearts of this uh, so that we can get busy with the mission. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that your perfect love would truly cast out all of our fears. Uh, as, as John says, whoever fears uh, has not been perfected in love. And so we pray that you would uh, increasingly perfect us in love, your love, the love which you had for us, which you displayed for us uh, in your coming to earth and in your being obedient 
to death, even death on a cross. I pray that that would increasingly engage our hearts, fill our hearts, and change us so that we might get busy with the mission you have given to us. Uh, Apart from fear, free from fear, free from presumption, with a strength of trust that only comes through you. Come and do this work, we pray, by your spirit and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the promise, the final word over you, the good word over you as you go. Uh, Whatever Amalekites, whatever giants you're facing, uh, this is his promise he goes with you. And he swore to be for you. Uh, He can't go back on his word, so receive this now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.